But we've been having fun with this series. This series on Marvel, we started, a, um, man, it's been like four or five weeks ago. And we started, we talked about Marvel and Jesus' actual comment in Mark 6, chapter 6, where he said he marveled at their unbelief. And we said, listen, if Jesus is going to marvel at something, let's not let him marvel at our unbelief. Let's let him marvel at our belief. And so we began looking through different scriptures, and we made a loose connect to some Marvel characters because it's just fun and cool, and our comic book geeks really got into it, right? In fact, uh, where's Brian? Brian has had a heck of a time, right, making sure that you appease the people who are DC versus Marvel because every once in a while we've skipped between the two. And by the way, we've, we've seen on the comic cards. Those of you are really comic book geeks, you'd be like, y'all violated a sacred thing you intermixed Marvel and DC Universe. And so we've heard that from some of you. We're trying to get better at that. But that really wasn't the focal point. The focal point was actually looking at different characters and how the different characters in the Bible actually affect our understanding of Scripture and moving forward. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to have fun with that today. But let me catch you up in case you're first joining us. So interesting series. Three churches, three different states doing this series together, multiple locations, and we've also had some good feedback online. The second week that we looked at this, we looked at Ant-Man, which I've never been a big fan of Ant-Man, so we just looked at ants and the idea of that God still honors good work. The third week, we looked at vision. If you were here for that, we talked about the vision of a mother for her son. And we looked through Proverbs 31. We looked at a pretty cool guy named King Lemuel. And then last week, we looked at storms. We had a great testimony from Jack, who shared with us a storm he recently went through. And a lot of you actually shared on your Connect cards and online different storms that you're walking through. And we were able to pray over those. And we're waiting to see the testimony that's going to come out of those, how God's moving. So today, we're going to talk about, finally, my favorite superhero in Marvel, which is Captain America. Okay, listen. So it's Memorial Day weekend. Why is Captain America my favorite? I'm going to tell you why. And part of it's probably coming from a military background, but he's like one of, the, one of the only guys that's a really good guy that's a superhero. He has very little dark side. You know what I'm saying? And so him and Superman, if I'm on the DC side, I'm on Superman. If it's on the Marvel side, I'm going to go Captain America. I love Captain America because in every one of the movies, you're seeing a guy of character. You're seeing a guy who's kind of sticking to his convictions. You're seeing a guy who's, in a lot of ways, not necessarily a superhero because of something goofy. He was a normal guy who becomes super. All that to tell you, he's my favorite, okay, which has nothing really to do with the message. Okay, what we're actually going to look at is a really cool passage out of John, okay? And we're going to connect it to the idea of um, what's happening here, Memorial Day. And we thought when looking at this passage, it's a great passage because I think we can connect some values that are part of our culture specifically to this passage. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to John 15. We're going to start in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you on the pew or underneath you if you're on the front row. And you can always use technology, right? There's this thing called a phone most of us have. And you can just Google, believe it or not, John 15, 10 10 through 14, and get to the passage. But open it up because I want you to be able to make notes. I want you to think about it and write some stuff down. You also have that inside of your, your bulletin. So let's look at this passage together out of John 15. If you obey my commands, I want you to underline, by the way, every time you see the word command or love, because we're going to come back to those. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy in you and that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
Now, what's really interesting about this passage, and I don't know if you've discovered this whenever you read the Bible, there's something cool called the law of repetition. So you do this sometimes when you're just reading anything in literature, but especially when you're reading the Bible. When the Bible repeats something over and over and over again in a small piece of scripture, it's like God trying to say, hey, pay attention. I'm wanting you to catch something. I'm wanting you to get something. What are the two words that you see repeated over and over and over again in this passage? Command and love. So obviously God's saying, I want you to get this idea that the two are somehow connected. And this is hard for us because in our culture, we don't connect them. We don't do that. In fact, when we say love, what we're actually talking about is an emotion, right? Like I get a quiver in my liver, right? You know, or dang, that girl, woo, right? That, you think that's love, right? That's lust. We'll talk about that on a different day, all right? So, but here's the deal. We make love an emotion. But in this passage, specifically, Jesus connects command to love. And it's interesting. I don't think he does it by accident. And I don't think it's by accident that this is actually Memorial Day when we think about those who have given the ultimate price for our freedom. So we're going to connect this idea of following a command to how that affects freedom to how that actually is connected to love. And I think you're going to see that both in those that have given the, paid the ultimate sacrifice for our nation, but also the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And they're intimately connected together. So let's go through this. Let's try to find this connection. Let's work through it together. So the first thing you're going to see when you talk about a memorial sacrifice, a memorable sacrifice is this. It has a purpose. Memorable sacrifices always have a purpose. I think one of the things that's probably a, a huge tragedy is when someone has a sacrifice, so they're sacrificing their time, their talent, their treasure, their very life, and they can't figure out how that's connected to a specific purpose. Then it's purposeless, and nobody wants that. So when you look at this to get an idea of how to connect a purpose into the idea of a sacrifice and how that's connected to love, you've got to get the idea of command first and how they're put together. So the command, Jesus says, is to love one another, to love each other, which means there's this idea of giving of yourself. Now, most of us intuitively understand this, but sometimes we don't go far enough with it. I was talking to a friend who I used to work with years ago when I was doing engineering, and this friend loved to coach baseball. He was actually very good at coaching baseball, and he loved the kids that he got to coach baseball with, and he saw that as a calling. He saw that as something that God had gifted him to do, that God had you know, given him skills with, but here was the biggest issue. He saw the only purpose as just being coaching the kids for baseball. That's all he saw. He couldn't go any further with it, which means when the season came to an end or the season that kid's life came to an end and they no longer played baseball, the purpose was dead. The calling was dead. So what I'm trying to show you is that this idea of the command to go and do something, you don't want it just connected to something shallow. You want it to go further. Yeah, you wanted to go into eternity. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And as I began to reveal this to the guy, he's like, well, what do you do with that? I said, listen, you leverage everything into a purpose that's bigger than you are. And coaching baseball is not bigger than you are. But teaching that kid about morality, values, faith, how to treat other people. How, like, I needed this when I was a kid. I was a bad sport. Does anybody relate to me? I was a bad sport, okay? If I lost, it was like Tom Brady, okay? Sorry if you're a Patriots fan, but that guy whines every time he loses. He's a great winner, but he's a really crappy loser, right? And I had that same mentality because I just like to win. 
But then somebody started teaching me this idea within my Christian faith that, hey, you can actually be very competitive, but still be a great loser. You know, someone who's actually favorable with that. Not favorable in losing, but being generous in the fact that that person beat you fair and square. My son spent, um, his friend spent the weekend over. I don't know if you guys do this, but he just turned 16. We're like, what do you want for your birthday? He's like, I just want all my buddies to come over. We're going to video game until we drop. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so my wife's like, good idea. And he didn't say that actually, but I started. <laughs> But I was like, okay, but it, I mean, the things he could be doing, that's a pretty cool thing to do. And so he came over with a bunch of friends. And they're just hanging out, and they're doing this thing. And, and I tell you, I, I'm just getting old. I don't know if I can do this anymore and, and be able to just keep going. Because these guys went and went and went. But they had such a cool connection and a cool fellowship over something. And when you see that, it's a value in our culture. And I think that's what I want you to see. There's a purpose. They were playing video games. But the bigger purpose inside the game was the friendship and connection they had. And I think we can all understand that. The key is how do you take that further that goes into eternity? So the second thing you're going to see when you look at this idea of a memorable sacrifice is an obedient heart. And that's the commandment piece. An obedient heart. Greater love has no one than this. They lay down their life for their friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. If you do what I command. When I think about the life of Jesus and I see the vision that shaped his life, and I think about the commandments that are around him and the different commands that were followed, the first person that came, comes to my mind is actually Mary. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But Mary was actually at a point where, you know, she gets pregnant before she's supposed to get pregnant. She's in this, you know, relationship. And then what's beautiful to me is she stands, let it be done to me just as the Lord has commanded it or ordained it, right? And so she sets in motion a character that she's going to pour into her kids, which means I don't understand everything that's God doing. I don't know what God's doing, but if God commands it, if God ordains it, I'm for it. You fast forward to Jesus' ministry, and he's just starting it. He hangs out with these guys who are fishermen. He goes to the edge of the shore. Remember this story? It's such a cool story out of the Bible. He says, hey, if you really want to do something awesome, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. And they were obedient to his command. As you look through his life, you begin to see this idea of an obedient heart. And he looks for it in people. He searches for it in people. He's looking for people who are bent on understanding the purpose and understanding God's command. And when he finds them together, he invests in them. There's a deep theological term that really is irrelevant, but it's pretty cool when you couple it to the life of Jesus. If you don't know about Jesus's life and you don't know who he actually was, the Bible communicates that he's God in the flesh. And if you don't understand that, we can, we can talk about that later. But he's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He is God in the flesh. But it also communicates in the book of Philippians that he gave up all of his rights as God in the flesh that he might demonstrate for you and I what love looks like. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this idea of getting behind an obedient heart. And he was obedient, the Bible says, even to the point of death. Because he knew what was at stake. He knew what was of value. And he connected that to his purpose. So let's connect this to the military. So, you know, we have several of us that have served. We've served along different, alongside different people. And here's one of the things that you understand. No matter what your view is of the situation, no matter what your view is of the political climate, right, you know that you have a purpose. And you place yourself under the command and the authority structure around you. Why? Because you know that you're part of something larger than you are. And that you trust implicitly 
what's happening in the people around you. And you know that if you do your job and you do it really well, you can save the lives of those around you, your friends. In other words, you lay down your own wants, your own desires, and what you think is owed to you, and you go after the mission, and you go after the purpose, and you do it all because of the command. I was watching... How many of you guys, I don't know, guys and gals, how many of you guys get into um, watching cool movies at certain times of the year? Like, this is Memorial Day. Do you have certain movies? Or throw out some movies that you know you're going to watch for Memorial Day. Curious. What is it? The Longest Day. Good movie. What other movies? Save It Private Ryan. Oh, good movie. Yeah, what else? The guys are going to, this is a guy day, is it not? Okay, what else? My wife's like, I like the romance, but I hate the blood and guts. And the guys are like, I love the blood and guts and the romance I'll tolerate. Okay, what other movies? Hacksaw Hacksaw Ridge. We just watched that last night. Do you guys ever watch that? So pretty gory movie, but here's here's the thing that really got me. There's a guy named uh, Corporal Desmond Doss in this movie. He's a seven-day Adventist. And he actually is trying to follow his faith. He refuses to pick up a firearm because he's a non-combatant, but he wants to be a medic. No matter what happens, he never lets go of the vision and the purpose and the command that God has placed on his life not to take the life of another person. But he knows this conflict is important, and he sees the evil that's happening around him and knows he has to engage. If you don't know anything about him, he won the Medal of Honor in World War II. The only non-combatant that didn't pick up, he was a, a medic, by rescuing 75 soldiers off the top of that ridge. At his own life, at his own expense. How could he do that? Like, what, what, what's wired in someone when you connect these principles? You know, a, a memorial sacrifice that's connected to purpose and a memorial sacrifice that's connected to a heart. His heart, first of all, was beating for God. And he didn't want one person to be lost. He didn't want one person that had to lose their life to lose it if he could just save one more. And he did it at the expense of himself, being shot at. I mean, the guy was, had two purple hearts. How does that happen? It because, it's because someone believes in something larger than they are, bigger than they are. This is such an important message for us in the political climate and the culture in which we live, is it not? Because in the world that we live in, everything is about us. And you've got to get your mind around something bigger than you, larger than you. That's when it gets bigger and goes further. So here's how you honor sacrifice like that. Here's how you do this in your own life. Very simple. Just two things. One, you have to first enlist in the mission. You got to enlist in the mission. So if there's a purpose, you got to enlist in the purpose. If you haven't bought into the purpose yet, then you really can't get in, okay? You've got to actually buy in. The mission, Jesus says very clearly here, is to love, right? So let's talk about love. In John 10, 10, it says that the thief has come to what? To kill to maim and destroy. He wants to mess with your life and the lives of people around you. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have and have it more abundantly. So Jesus wants people to have life. So I was thinking about this. I was on a bike ride and I told my wife, I said, I just came up, and I know Bud will hate this, but I came up with acrostic love. He's like, oh no, an acrostic. Okay, you can write this down if you want. But here's what it means to love based on the biblical thing. So this is what God's asking you to enlist in. Here's the love that God would actually put before you. First, it's living. You know, one of the things about Christians that just messes with me is some of y'all are dead. Can I just be honest with you for a second? Some of you are dead, okay? I look at you and I just go, man, is there life in you? Do you understand that the Holy Spirit has come and resides in you? He's quickening you. He wants you to actually use your life for something bigger than you are and actually get excited about it. Can you do that? 
Okay? So here's the reality. So the first thing that the world wants to see if you really love them is you're alive. You're living, man. That you'll do anything for this cause. That's living. So that's the first thing if you want to love. The second thing is you're living on something. And it's not on just excitement. It's not just on exuberance. It's not just some facade. You're living on the life of Christ and what he's done for you. So you're living on Christ. In what way? For victory. Have you looked around? The world that we have around us is so defeated. Everything around them tells them what they can't do and what can't be done and what is messed up. And in this world, love says, no, 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 you already have victory. I mean, do you get it? That Christ has actually gone and purchased a complete and fulfilled victory for you? And because of that, you should be like overjoyed and filled with what God's doing. And there's nothing that can be brought to you that can bring you down. Nothing. And here's the coolest part about this kind of victory. It's not temporal. It's eternal. It's eternal. That's love. Living on mission for Jesus based on the victory that he's already purchased for us, and it's eternal. It's not just something that's temporal. It's going way further than that. And when you get that, you start to have a love for everyone around you, and that puts you on mission. It's not about assigning a covenant. It's not about joining a church. When you get on this mission, you just get on fire. You just can't help but tell people about the love that God has given you. He's purchased for you. He's placed down in you. It's pretty cool stuff. My wife will tell you that's one of the things that scares her sometimes. Because when we go to a restaurant, I'm looking for the person that needs love. Okay? So I'm looking for the person that seems the most down. I'm looking for the person that just needs a touch of the hand of Jesus. And wanting to know, how can I give that? Not in a goofy way, not in a weird way, not in an over-religious way, but in an authentic way. Can I pray for you some way? Is there something I can do for you? You know, it's when you sneak in and you buy somebody's lunch and they don't even know that you did it. I mean, just ways where you want to share this love. And when you begin to do that and you get on that kind of mission, it changes people around you. This is the way Jesus was wired. That's why whenever you see him walking around and he's hanging out with people, he'll say things like this. You've heard it said. I love that when he does that, right? That means he's about to mess with you. But I tell you, in other words, I'm going to show you love. I'm going to demonstrate it for you. And in everything that he did, he demonstrated it in complete humility. I don't know if you understand this, but he didn't do anything on his own will. Everything he did, he did in obedience to God, obedience to the Father, obedience to the mission. Because Jesus could have done it so many different ways. And I guarantee when he was in the garden, he was not thinking that the mission that was before him was the best mission. To go and die for a people who were going to spit on him, who didn't appreciate him, who didn't love him. And yet he said, that's the mission. And he girded himself up for that and said, it's not about me, but it's about something larger. People spending eternity with me. So that's the first thing. Are you on that mission? The second thing is you lay down your life. So his mission affects your mission. That's how you see this put into play. His mission affects your mission. That great sacrifice is based on obedience. You know, most of the apostles that followed Jesus laid down their life. Did you know that? Every single one of them. There's only one, and it's only because they couldn't kill the guy. That must have been kind of cool. That was like, uh, what's the Bruce Willis movies? Hard to kill. He was the original hard to kill, gang, okay? He was the original guy, and that was John. They dunked the guy in oil. He still lives. They had to exile the guy to an island. And it's so cool. Die Hard. Yeah, he's like, he knows the movies. Die Hard. And I was thinking hard to kill. Die Hard. He was the original Die Hard, George. He was so good. And so here's the reality. 
they all died. Why did they die? Because they were so bought into laying down their life. They knew that that would happen. I've been in the book of Acts in my own personal devotion recently. And uh, in reading it, one of the things that floors me is uh, the Apostle Paul, if you've ever read the book, is book of Acts, is on his way to Jerusalem. And this floors me. I'm still trying to wrestle with this myself. But the saints come together and like, Paul, 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 you got it all wrong. Dude, you're jacked up. We're, we're going to prophesy over you. Okay? This actually happens. Read the book of Acts. And they're all praying over him. And it says, even based on the leading of the Spirit, they're like, you're going to die. You realize that you're going to die. We all are hearing from the Spirit. You are going to die. Don't go. And Paul says, isn't it awesome? And they're like, are you whacked? What's wrong with you? Is if I can give my life for the cause of Christ and people can come to faith, isn't that what our faith is about? And even back then, people didn't get this. They thought it was about what they were going to get from Paul, not about encouraging Paul and the sacrifice that he was headed toward. That's huge. And we've got to get to that point where we see everything in our life, whether it's cancer or death or how people treat us in certain situations is an opportunity to sacrifice ourselves for the cause of the good news. When you get to that place, you start using your life in that way, everything changes. And that never stops, by the way. I was hanging out when I was a student pastor with a guy who had had kids kind of later in life, okay? He's like a modern-day Abraham. I mean, later, later in life. And uh, he was telling me one day, he sits down with me, and I said, hey, what do you want to do with your ministry? What do you want to do with your life? And the guy's like, man, I'm, I've gotten along in age, and here's the reality. I already did the youth ministry thing. Now it's your job. That's exactly what he said to me. He said, I'll bring my kid to you so that you can help raise him because I'm, I just can't do it. I'm done. I've gotten to a phase in my life. Now I'm going to make it about me. And I thought, oh, man, you missed it. How'd you miss it? You really think the entire journey, you get to the end of it, and you go, now I get some time for me? It doesn't work that way. In fact, the further you get in the journey, the more you find your, your life is leveraged for the glory of Christ in different ways he can do it, because now he's developed you, he's cultivated you, he's built into you. So all this to say this, you need to serve. That's the greatest way that you honor the sacrifice. So one last thought. Without a sacrifice, there's no freedom. Without sacrifice, there's no freedom. And I think when you look at what our culture has done, we've lost this. We've lost this idea of sacrifice. And when you look at what happened in World War II, which came out of what many call the greatest generation, what you see is a generation who is willing to sacrifice to something bigger. One of the things I love about the current generation is I think they get this. We lost this in my generation, okay? In Generation Xers, we got to just build the career, build the career, and go do your thing. The current generation knows there's something larger, and they want to be a part of something larger. So I think God's on the cusp of helping us to understand this, that without sacrifice, there's no freedom. People sacrifice their very life for you and I, that we'd have this nation. That's what Memorial Day is about. Christ sacrificed his very life for you and so did the early apostles that we might understand freedom in religion, in religion. Sometimes religion binds us up, doesn't it? Christ came along and said, I'm here to unbind you. I'm here to release you. I'm here to give you a new vision for a new faith. So I think the two are connected. I don't think you can be someone of deep sacrifice if you don't understand fully what Christ has done for you. So let me, let me again, we do this a lot, but I think it's worth redundancy. 
If you've never put your hope and your faith in Christ, I just want to tell you how easy it is. You don't even have to do it here. You don't have to do it because I'm telling you to do it. You need to do it because you believe in what Christ has done for you, that he has paid the full payment for your sin. You just admit that all of us are sinners and separated from God. You believe and put all of your hope fully in him, that he paid for your sins when he went to the cross, and you commit your life the best you can at this moment to him. You can do that here. You can do that at home. You can do that with your friends. But here's the reality. When you put all of your hope in what he's done and commit to him, that's what the Bible calls being born again. There's a spiritual renewal of birth that happens. And you get excited. I've not known one person that when they put their hope fully in Christ, that they walk out going, well, that was a cool thing. They're not Eeyores anymore, I'm telling you. They are floored by what Christ is doing in them. And the same thing is true as we remember those who sacrificed for us. The same thing is true, but we honor them as a sacrifice our lives.